0: Uh, Thank you very much for that message. Um, We should all be able to say so much without words. We're going to dismiss our uh, children now to go to Promised Land. So uh, those of you that are 5th grade and under can now go down the hall with Sherry. And you guys are going to have a great time together. I'm going to be speaking in just a moment from the Gospel of Matthew. So if you want to get a Bible... Uh, open up a New Testament to the first book there, Matthew, and uh, we'll be in chapter 9 in just a moment. So I wonder if you did anything this past week that will really matter 10 years from now. Did you do anything this past week that will matter? 20 years, 50 years from now. How is it that your life is being invested and spent? Does it make a difference? How many of you are on Facebook? Just curious. Yeah, gosh, quite a few of you. I don't have that many friends. Gee. Uh, Actually, not too long ago, Uh, I got pinged by somebody that said, uh, would you be my friend? And I'm looking at this person's picture, and I'm looking at this person's name, and I'm like, I don't have a clue who that is. Has that ever happened to you? Somebody said, I want to be your friend. You're like, I don't know who that is. And so maybe you're a nice guy, and you just immediately click yes. Or maybe you're not so nice, and you just immediately click no. But uh, I'm somewhere in between. (laughs) So I usually click the person's name to see is there some connection i have with this person do we have mutual friends or do we have other mutual kinds of interests and so i clicked on this person's name and as i'm looking at her profile uh come to find out she attended the college that i used to teach at a long time ago and so i, I clicked yes and uh we were friends but i, I didn't think anything else about it And literally just a few hours later, same day, I get a personal message from this woman through Facebook and uh, she said, I don't know if you're going to remember me. I'm like, well, I don't. (laughs) And she said, but I was in one of your classes at uh, school and I just was so glad to find you on Facebook because I wanted to be able to tell you I've been I've, I've wanted to tell you for a long time how much God used you in my life. And I'm already like, really? And I continue to read because it's a fairly lengthy little commentary here. She goes on to say, uh, it was through your class and some of our conversations that God laid some foundational things for me. That uh, I made some decisions based upon uh, things that God was, was impacting me about through you and through your class at that time. And it absolutely changed the direction of my life. And she went ahead to update me because it was 27 years ago uh, of what had transpired through the years and about getting married and children and all this kind of thing. And she now runs a counseling center in a major city. And she's literally impacting the lives of hundreds of people who have a variety of problems and challenges. And she, she said, I just wanted you to know because sometimes we don't get to hear a lot of what God's doing with my life right now is because of what happened back in school in your class. I, you know, I was uh, simultaneously both stunned and grateful. Grateful that God had early in my life uh, begun to, to prompt me and stir me and woo me and call me into a relationship with Himself. And then He began to make it clear to me when I was 16, 17, and 18, that He had a mission for my life. And part of my uh, being at that school at that point in my life and being an instructor and in teaching, uh, and I literally had uh, you know, about 80 to 100 in each class, and that's why I didn't always know everybody in the class. All of that was, in my mind, a part of being on mission. It was a part of what God's plan was for me at that point in my, in my life, at that point in time. And so it, it raises the question for all of us Do you have that sense of mission? Do you have that sense of purpose? Have you sensed God calling you close to Himself to engage Him, to connect with Him, to do life with Him, and then out of that, to live the mission that He has for your life, that He has for every life? Do you? We're going to get at that today by looking at the text that you see in Matthew chapter 9. I hope you have your Bible because it's a fascinating read. We're going to look at several verses. And I'm going to ask you to start with me uh, in verse 35 and follow along silently. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. All right, you got your imagination going? So He's just moving about through all these towns and cities and villages. And there He is teaching... In the synagogues. And he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10. And he called to him his twelve disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease, heal every affliction. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter. Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanean, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And these twelve, Jesus set out, instructing them. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, uh, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Whole lot of stuff there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, so We're going to move kind of quickly. Leave your Bible open so that you can follow through with me and see what happened there. So in the first place, this call to Jesus's mission needs to be uh, unpacked a little bit in terms of what what is the mission of the gospel anyway? You know, we throw these church words around all the time. Mission, gospel, you know, what is all that stuff? You know, the word gospel simply means good news. And so it's this mission of telling or sharing good news with people that even though you already are a sinner, even though you already stand condemned before a holy God, God loves you. God wants to forgive you. God can and will forgive you because Jesus died a sacrificial atoning death in your place. He's already taken your penalty. He's already taken your divine punishment that ought to be coming from heaven. And because He has taken our punishment upon Himself, you can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to God. You can have eternal life. That's the good news. And the mission is to make sure as many as possible know that good news and have the opportunity to respond to that good news. But you see, secondly, in the text, he begins to talk about the motive of the mission. Why do it? You say, well, because he said so. Obedience. Hoorah! I'm with you. Obedience is important. It's a major theme throughout the Bible. But notice in the text, what's the text say that was driving Jesus? It wasn't just obedience to the plan of the the Father, of the Godhead, but it was compassion. We're told that Jesus... Looked at the people and had compassion upon them like they were harassed, helpless sheep. Now, it's an interesting word. We've talked about this word in here before. It's it's an aorist word in the Greek language, which means it happened at a point in time in the past. So at some point in time in the past, Jesus looked at people... And had compassion for them. I would suggest that in the context that we're seeing it, it probably happened when he was doing the Sermon on the Mountain. He was up on the hillside, and people were coming up the hillside from all directions to be with him and to hear his teaching. And at that point, his heart broke for them. Now that word compassion... You ready? You Remember that? We talked about it here before. Splagnizomai. It's, it's uh, one of those words that is a guttural. It, it, it means to feel something deeply, to feel it in the gut. And so when He saw them, it wasn't a compassion that was, oh. It was a compassion that was, oh. They are harassed and helpless. They're like, they're like sheep that are wandering around, vulnerable to prey. Now, some years ago, One of my kids was in the driveway playing basketball. And uh, as he was going up for a shot, and it had been a little bit of a light rain, the uh, driveway was slick. He slipped, lost his footing, and came crashing down on the asphalt, and he broke his arm. So imagine Sherry upon hearing that Justin had fallen and broken his arm, and she goes out there to be with him. Okay, moms, you with me? And so she begins to walk up to this kid who is ashen in his face because he's in some shock. He's got this weird coloration going on, and he's crying in terrific pain, and he's holding out his arm in this weird configuration because it's kind of busted and dislocated, and it is gross looking, right? And when you, feel, when you see that and feel a response in the gut about that, breaks your heart that your kid has had that kind of injury to his life. That's splaginitzamai. I would have you practice that, but I don't want you spitting on your neighbor, okay? (laughs) So that's what Jesus had toward those that he saw. That's what Jesus has toward us. He looks at your life and my life before we came to Christ, if you have come to him. And we're busted, broken, hell-bound, condemned-already type people. And it it breaks his heart. Literally, it kills him. That we would be on that kind of life trek. And he does everything he can to get us off of that and onto a different trek. To turn us around. That we would repent. That we would go in a new way, in a new direction. All out of compassion. I just ask you, is that some of the dynamic that operates in you? That you understand the gospel, you understand what good news it is because of what Christ has done for you. And, and you understand that you share in this mission. He wants you on this mission. And so you have this heart that's bent toward people and it's broken for people and it gets pierced for people. The next thing you see in our text is there's this mandate to labor for this cause. He says, imagine the world like a field that's ready for harvest. When you see a field that's ready for harvest, you just can't look at it. You've got to go out there and harvest that thing. You've got to get that wheat in or it will never become the bread that can sustain life. And so he goes, "The, the fields are just full, just ripe for harvest. But there are such few laborers. I want more laborers. And so he tells his disciples, pray that more laborers come to the field to work it. Now, for reasons that God knows, we have begun to know Him and to experience Him and to follow Him and to be a community for Him here in this little geographic spot. And we're kind of like almost right on the line between Redmond and Sammamish, right? Now, the combined population of Redmond and Sammamish is approaching 100,000. It's almost 100,000. Can you believe that? And so I want you to imagine right now that those of us in this room represent the population base of of this area, Redmond and Sammamish, about 100,000 people. Let's just say, for purposes of easy math, there's 100 of us in the room uh, representing 100,000. Okay? So imagine with me how many out of the hundred thousand know Christ, follow Christ, do life with Christ. Can you imagine? Let me help you with your imagination. Can I get your help? Would you stand up? Would you stand up? Would you stand up? Would you stand up? That's it. That's the rest. Of Redmond and Sammamish that do not know Christ. That's our mission. And would you sit down? Would you sit down? Would you sit down? This may be all that cares. You can be seated. Thank you. So I'm not asking rhetorical questions today. Are you on mission? Are you a laborer? Are you in the field? Are you uh, taking the gospel and, and praying and hoping and uh, having your heart broken about whether people come into the kingdom of Christ or not? Uh, that is absolutely our mandate, and the challenge is great. The field is full of potential harvest, and the laborers are few. The people who care about it are few. And so, uh, without hesitation... And without apology, in the name of Christ, we're calling for you today to be a laborer, to care, to allow God to break your heart that you can see people the way that He sees people. At whatever point on the age continuum that you are, I praise God it started for me when I was 15, 16. But if you're 50 or 60, man, don't miss it before the clock stops ticking for you. Because here's the reality. We're told in Romans chapter 10, how will they, how will the people in Redmond and Sammamish call upon Jesus whom they've not believed how are they going to do that? How are they going to believe in Him if they've never heard? And how are they going to hear unless someone goes and tells them? You know, well, everybody's heard about Jesus. and Everybody knows there's something that you need to do about Jesus. Come on. Not good enough. I needed more than that most likely you needed more than that somebody cared enough to actually knock on my door and come into my house and share with me about Christ and point blank ask me would you be willing to give your life to Christ and follow him all the days of your life and i was presented with a choice with a with an opportunity Well, notice also in the text, there's not only this mission that's being explained and we're understanding the motivation behind it and and the call, the mandate for us to labor in it. But then we begin to see the makeup of those of us that he's calling, that he's tapping. Because you see, I know how this thing works. You're, You're listening to me right now and you go, you know, if I was the preacher type... If I was Scott, I'd probably get at some of that stuff. I mean, after all, he's got this training and this education and so on like that. Look at the text. In chapter 10, we're given the names of these disciples. Now, have you ever asked the question, why would they give us the names of the disciples? Because, you see, the Bible is about God. It's about revealing to us God. It's about revealing to us the mysteries of God. It's about revealing to us the salvation and and the saving work of God. It's not primarily about us. It's primarily about Him. So why, if it's primarily about Him, does it go to the trouble to name some bit characters? And I believe it's for the exact purpose of letting us know more about the type of people that Christ embraces and envelops and brings into the mission. These guys were simple guys. They were common guys. You know, a few of them were fishermen, just common laborer type guys. One of them's a government employee, works to collect taxes. One of them is this religious uh, legalist. Another is kind of a political, zealot, fanatic kind of guy. I mean, it's a pretty diverse group, a very simple group. No preacher types in there. No full-time minister type. Just regular, everyday people. And that's not even the important part. (laughs) The important part is that He takes these regular, everyday people and He says, Here! And He gives them His authority. His power. There's nothing remarkable about them, but there is something uh, universally remarkable in them. And that's the person of Christ and His authority and power to carry out His mission. What do they do? They go and do tremendous things that fit the category of miracles that are way beyond their capabilities because there's an authority and a power that's beyond them that Christ has given them to carry out the mission. That's the way it works for you and for me. Now, if we have demon-possessed people, He'll give you the power to deal with that. That's not something that's real common in our culture. Although a person or two comes to mind. But um, friends, it's more common in some other cultures. But we have a number of other issues that God addresses with His power through your life. Which leads me to say, this all matters to him so much that he is very specific in detail about his instructions. He gives them all these little markers to see that they're on the right track in what he's asked them to do. I want you to go into this town, not that town. And I want you to engage these people, not those people. And I want you to do these things, not those things. And if they respond in this kind of way, then you do this. But if they respond in that kind of way, then you do that. You follow me? I'm not even going to unpack all that. The point is, he has uh, minute, detailed, precise awareness and interest and instructions about how we go about all this. And you go, okay, well now, Scott, you blow me out of the water. Because even if I was inclined to be more omission and more in cooperation with what He's up to, even if I had a shred of hope that He might give me a little power to do something, I don't know how to get all those specific instructions. You don't have to know how to get all those specific instructions. He has to know how to convey those specific instructions to you. And guess what? He knows. And so if you have any openness of heart, any softness of heart, any compassion of Christ working in you, that gives you ears to hear and eyes to see. And He will come moving through that and you'll hear and see things. It just happens that way. Now how does that play out for us? Well, it plays out in our lives in the way of who you're going to date. Who are going to be your set of friends? Whom will you marry? When or how many children might you have? Where will you live? What neighborhood? Uh, Where are you going to work? All those things matter. We never just go about those things blindly. You know, I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. Oh, that's a good idea. Ooh, a nice package there. I think I'll go for that package. We never do that. Because we are not our own. We are His. And we are on mission all the time. And so he has specific ideas about all this. And so we never move in those uh, directions without praying. God, give me guidance. God, give me leadership. And if I have a soft heart, and if I'm inclined toward him, he will make those things clear. He'll disclose. He's in the business of disclosing. He named an entire book in the Bible, Disclosure or Revelation. He's all about that. And he will show you the way. So, let me close with this. Imagine, let me just use the name Joe. And Joe works in an office in the area. And he's got a lot of people that he works around, but he especially spends time with a team. And uh, this team's been together for a little while, and so uh, they not only are on task, but occasionally a little of the personal life slips in there, and they talk about how their weekend went or how a holiday was experienced or something like that. And occasionally there are little team-building events that take place, and they go out for dinner. or They, uh, you know, go out to this or that. So one day Joe is at the company picnic. And he happens to notice that uh, his workmate, Bill, is there with his wife and his kids. And Bill and his wife are looking pretty tense. And they kind of talk with each other in sharp, edge kind of ways. And they don't look like they're having a great time. And at that moment, when Joe sees Bill and his family and that kind of dynamic going on, he just whispers a prayer inside. He says, Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd bless bill and i pray that you'd be at work in him and in his family and when joe just whispers that inside of himself he feels impressed that god says i'm going to have him pray more for this guy and so so joe says and so lord you know anytime you want me praying for bill just kind of remind me just bring him to my mind i'll pray for him and that happened often joe ended up praying often for Bill and for Bill's family. So on um, one day, they're all you know, about their work and they're at a little point where they're getting some coffee and taking a break and Bill kind of notices the family picture of Joe and his family on Joe's desk. And he says, hey, uh, it seems like you really got you know, the family thing happening well for you. And uh, Joe says, you know, I, I feel very blessed about that. Um, you know, I, I know my wife loves me, and, and most of the time I think my kids love me. And, uh, you know, I, I feel real blessed about that. And um, he kind of said to Bill, um, how's it been for you? Has it been okay? Has it been a little bit hard? And uh, Bill shuffled around a little bit, and he goes, well, frankly, it's been pretty hard. it been, been pretty hard. And he goes, well... Marriage, uh, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it?" Joe said. And Bill said, "Yeah, but sometimes I don't think the work makes any difference." And so Joe replies to this moment of vulnerability, because Joe's a Christian, and he's on mission, and he takes a risk, and a thought pops into his head that's from God. Just tell Bill that you pray for him. So he goes, well, Bill, I really appreciate you letting me know that it's kind of hard. I'm going to pray for you about that. In fact, I have been praying for you about that. And Bill kind of gets wide-eyed about that. And uh, he goes, well, thanks. And that was the end of the conversation. They get back to work. They're, They're going about their business. That happens for a few days, a couple of weeks. And finally, on one occasion, Bill gets hold of Joe and says, hey, let's go have lunch together today. And so Joe says, all right. So they go to lunch. And they're sitting there and they talk a little bit about the, you know, business and the workplace stuff. And they talk a little bit about some sports and whatever. And then Bill says to Joe, you know, a few weeks ago, you said to me, I pray for you. And I'm like wondering, why do you pray for me? And while Bill is saying this, Joe, you know, gets the heartbeat up a little bit, as a lot of us would. And he's whispering a prayer in his head real quickly. Lord, give me some words to say here at this point. And uh, Joe says, well, Bill, here's the deal. I believe that Jesus lives today just like he did 2,000 years ago. And I believe you can have a relationship with him. And I have a relationship with him. I know that might sound a little bit weird to you. But um, in my relationship with Jesus, one day, I had this kind of stirring inside of me. It was not an audible voice. And I just felt like God gave me kind of this impression, pray for Bill and his family. And so I just prayed for you and your family, you know, often, actually. And again, Bill gets wide-eyed and he's pausing there for a moment. Then he says, well, what do you pray for me? And Joe says, well, you know, sometimes I pray that God gives you understanding of your wife so that you can know her and love her well. And sometimes I pray that God gives you wisdom as you parent your kids. And sometimes I pray that God gives you creativity and energy so that you can get your job done well. You know, things like that, because that's the, that's the same kind of stuff that I need. That's the same kind of stuff that, that God does for me. And Bill's like, Really? Well, I guess we probably need to get back. And so they wrap up lunch, they pay, you know, they go back to work and a few days, few weeks go by. And as Joe continues to pray for Bill, Joe feels impressed one day to invite him to church. It's getting to be the holiday season and so Joe sends an email to Bill. Bill. And he says, You know what? Uh, Christmas can get so crazy around here. Uh, At my church, we're talking about how to make the most of your Christmas season. I thought you might be interested. Love for you to come. And attached to the email was a little invite telling what time and where and all that kind of stuff. Didn't hear a word from Bill in response to that. Week goes on. Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. Joe thinks, before I go to bed, I think I'll, I'll check my email one more time. And there is an email from Bill that says, hey, I'm going to come to your church tomorrow. See you there. So the next day, Sunday morning, Joe shows up, full of anticipation, looking for Bill, been praying that the morning would be a special time for Bill. Bill shows up. They come in the door. They sit down. You know, they experience all that goes on in a worship gathering. And it's all over, and and uh, they're about to leave, and Joe says, well, I hope that was a good hour for you. And he goes, well, you know, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, I found that, you know, it meant a whole lot more to me than what I thought, and gosh, you know, you got some friendly people around here, several have spoken to me, you know, thanks. And Joe says, well, let's do it again. Bill says, well, sure. And that was a while ago. Bill didn't make it back for any more Christmas-related services. Didn't make it back for anything in the wintertime, nothing in the springtime. Here we are approaching the summertime. The story is not finished on Bill. And therefore, the mission... In Joe's heart, to care about him, to love him, to bring the grace of Christ to him, to pray for him, is not finished. Joe still prays for him often. Joe still shares his heart, still befriends him, uh, still seeks to have the blessings of God be a part of Bill's life. We'll see what happens with Bill. That's in God's hand. We don't get to influence those outcomes, that's between God and individuals. But Joe's on mission. Right in the place where God is planting. Right in the ways and with the, the, the people with whom God wanted Joe's life. And what Joe does every day when he shows up for work. Because he's an ambassador for Christ. Because he's there on mission. Because he prays for his colleagues. Because he has a heart that breaks for them. Every day matters for eternity. And so when I say, did you do anything this week that will matter in 10 or 20 years? See, if you're doing life the way I'm describing it, if you're living it on mission the way I've been describing it, then every day counts. It all matters for all eternity. What a purposeful way to live. And why would we ever want to live any other kind of way? And so I ask you, will you? Will you repent and follow Christ yourself? If, that, if you have not made that decision for yourself yet, you're still trying to figure all that out, then maybe today's the day. Why don't you just cross that line of faith today and say, okay, I'm going to start doing life with Christ from now on. Will you invest your heart? And will you care? It's costly to care. It takes something out of you to care. It hurts to care. Will you? Will you labor in the field? Listen. God's not looking for more spectators. He's not looking for more people to fill a seat. He's looking for more people that will be sent. I love it when we have a lot of seats filled. It's, it's fun to have more in the whole thing together. But what matters more than seats is being sent. Will you go? Will you go? Now, maybe that is Africa. Maybe that is um, India. Maybe that is uh, Russia or who knows whatever else you know around the globe. Uh, there's a certain percentage of people that God's going to do that with. But for most of us, it's going to be in the kind of locale where we are right now. We labor in the field. And some of you, need to begin to position your life in such a way that you can give more of your life, more of your time, more of your resources. You've been been there in a significant way, but God's calling for more. Will you say yes to more of the labor? And some of you guys, as you're trying to figure out, you know, where am I going to go to college and what am I going to do with career and all these other kinds of decisions, some of you, he may be asking you to be a vocational kind of minister. Like me or Jerry or some others around us. I began to get a clue on that when I was 17. Will you serve in his power? This isn't about you generating stuff and white knuckling and trying your best and, you know. This is about leaning on him. When Jesus tells these guys in, in Matthew chapter 10, I don't want you taking gold and silver. I don't want you taking your purse and your bag. I don't want you even taking extra clothes and all that kind of stuff. It's because He wanted them dependent upon Him. They had to get in these contexts where they had to depend upon Him. Will you depend upon Him? Will you allow yourself to venture into these risky experiences where dependence is necessary? And will you follow Jesus' marching orders? I'm talking about... You go where He says go. You do what He says do. And you say a lot of no's to everything else. We can't have it all. We don't do it all. We have and do what Jesus lays out there for us. Let's bow together and pray about these things. Father, it's been a big subject today and You've had some very pointed, piercing things to say you have been touching us at deep places and we sense that it's not a business as usual morning but this is a this is a defining kind of morning where we make a choice and those choices have outcomes and consequences to them and so I pray for every friend that as you're prompting as you're guiding they will make choices that honor You and bring Your blessings upon their lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friend, we've pointed out to you at the beginning of the service that little connection card. It's also a worship tool. And if you are making some kind of decision right now for Christ and for His mission, let me encourage you to put that on the backside and say, I've made a decision about this and let us pray for you about that. That will be confidential to our staff, and we'll be praying for you about that in the morning. Maybe you want to check that blank that says, got to, got to have it. Want to have the relationship with Jesus. Will you decide? This is also the time in the service when we will worship with our tithes. And our offerings. And so our ushers are going to come. You can place your connection card in there. You can place uh, your your financial gifts unto the Lord in there. So, Father, we uh, give you these things, commitments and gifts, to bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.